So we're going to look uh, this morning at a very familiar passage of Scripture, the Transfiguration. Um, if you've been around church uh, much at all in your life or you studied art when you were in high school or college, you're very familiar with the image that is portrayed here, and I bet you don't know what it means. So, uh, uh, because... For many of you, the fact that Jesus could be high and lifted up and lit up like a Christmas light uh, is not going to make one speck of difference to you when you go home today or when you get up and go to work with the jerks and the losers at your office or you go home to the uh, marriage that is not what you'd hoped it would be or you're just lonely and, um, well, yeah, struggling, right? So uh, let's look at this text today and try to figure out what, uh, what the, the point uh, of this is. Um, I'm going to give you a clue because uh, when I was studying, thinking about this uh, text this week, one of the things uh, that uh, I, was, I do when I come against texts that are difficult to uh, understand and to make application for uh, is I go back and pull out my old seminary notes which are, you know, about 20% of the time are, are, are helpful. And um, so I was going back and looking for some, some help on this text to make some points of application, because I can tell you about all the Greek and all the stuff that's happening here, but, you know, to make it in some sense uh, worth your while that uh, on Wednesday when something goes horribly wrong or something goes horribly right, you're going to be like, yeah, that connects to the transfiguration, Right? Um, I, I came across uh, this quote that I wrote uh, in a notebook in 1982 uh, from a um, um, uh, British uh, a churchman named Charles Bridges. So uh, this is what kind of guided me this week as I thought about this, is preach Christ Jesus the Lord, determined to know nothing among your people but Christ crucified, let his name and grace, his spirit and love triumph in the midst of all your sermons. Let your great end be, and by the way, 1982, I realized when I wrote this, I, uh, I don't have a kid that young as I was when I wrote this. My kids are all older than I was when I wrote this. It's weird. It's real weird. Really weird. Uh, I'm sure they're writing this stuff in their notebooks too. So um, since none of them are preaching sermons today that I know of. So let your great end be to glorify him in the heart, to render him amiable and precious in the eyes of his people, to lead them to him as a sanctuary to protect them, a propitiation that is an atoning sacrifice to reconcile them, a treasure to enrich them, a physician to heal them, uh, an advocate to present them in their services to God, as wisdom to counsel them, as righteousness to justify, as sanctification to renew, as redemption to save. Let Christ be the diamond to shine uh, in the bosom of all your sermons. So uh, fortunately today, my prayer is that uh, since we're going to look at Jesus shining, I won't dim that for you or block you from seeing that. So in light of that, let's, uh, let's look at Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 43. Uh, the text is in the bulletin and uh, up on the screens behind me. This is uh, the word of God. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain. 
Did you hear that? You should be asking a question right now from that first sentence. What is it? Say? What sayings? Great. We're going to look at those sayings. Uh, In verse 21 before this, here's what we have, right? Um, That's too far down into the sermon. Yeah, right there. Uh, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests of the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So these these are the sayings, these are the things that Jesus was saying right before we get to this. So what he's saying is, I'm going to die soon. Uh, Your religious leaders are going to kill me. And not only that, not only am I going to die, but you probably will too. Okay? And that the necessity of what I'm calling you to, to, uh, to be and to do is to be prepared for that, right? To take up your cross. So this is the context. Statements about death. Statements about him uh, suffering. And the difficulty that he will experience. He's loving his disciples by preparing them for this. That's the context that we have now as he goes to the top of the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And as he was praying, they go up there. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. And on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him, and behold, A man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Um, just a quick word. We don't, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that, that section there, beginning at verse 37. But it says there, all were amazed at the majesty of God. 
or astonished at the majesty of God. Don't uh, read too much into that um, because there's a big difference between being astonished and amazed and believing. There's a big difference between being astonished, being stunned uh, by God and entrusting your whole being to him. Right. And so as you as you as you think about that, one of the things that you have to see is that in the midst of this uh, uh, period of Jesus's life where he is consistently saying over and over again, we must go to Jerusalem because I'm going to die there. Uh, it, it happens over and over and over again. And, and yet in the midst of this, his disciples miss that. And even the crowd here who sees him cast out this demon ultimately miss who he is and what it is uh, that he is doing and what it is he is going uh, uh, to accomplish for them, right? So that's what we need to, to begin to look at and, and see today, that this the context of what's happening here is in the nitty-gritty uh, real-world life, right? And the other thing to note about this is, is that, you know, we, we look at this and we always read the Gospels and think, how come Peter, James, and John weren't changed by seeing Jesus transfigured? How come they weren't undone? How come, how come it doesn't, didn't, does not clue them in to what's happening? Well, we're going to look at that and we're going to unpack that because I, I would submit to you this morning that you and I are not that much different and that you and I are uh, uh, prone to miss the glory of God, prone not to see him and prone. And in fact, we're probably programmed uh, to miss it altogether. So let's look at the transfiguration now. Okay, um, so what exactly is the point of the transfiguration, right? What What is it about this that is so uh, key that Jesus wants his disciples to see him like this, that the Father wants the disciples to see him like this uh, before they go to, uh, go to Jerusalem? Well, a couple of things to note about this, right? So what happens is Jesus, they go up there to pray on the top of the mountain, Peter, James, and John with Jesus. And one of the things to, to note about Jesus is every time Jesus, Jesus goes off by himself to pray a lot. You know that? You read the Gospels, he goes off to pray a, a lot by himself. Every time he takes his disciples with him, they fall asleep. So I don't know if Jesus' prayers are too long or boring. Or something's wrong with the disciples, but whenever he takes them off somewhere, they go to sleep. It happens a lot, which is, I think, why he goes, most of the time he goes by himself, right? <laughs> uh, because they just, they just don't have it within them to, to, to stay awake, right? Uh, and you know what that's like when you're with, you know, you got that family member that prays too long, you know, that goes on and on. Uh, I interrupted, uh, Marty's sister one time with amen uh, in the middle of her prayer because, <laughs> all right, we know you can pray. So, uh, yeah, we're tight. <laughs> so, uh, so what, 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 are, what are we, what are we to note about this? So Jesus is up there praying. They're kind of sleepy coming in and out of consciousness. And all of a sudden they look up and Jesus's clothes are lit up. His face and his skin is lit up. And there's Moses on one side of him and Elijah on the other side. And they're having a conversation, right? And what are they talking about? Well, isn't it interesting what Luke says here is that they are appearing with him who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. Now, 
Why would he use the word departure? Why, why doesn't he say that they, they spoke to him of his soon death or his, his, his uh, crucifixion, his resurrection and his ascension, right? Why would they use the word departure? Well, a couple of things to be noted about this is, is that Moses and Elijah had unusual departures themselves, right? Moses goes up onto the, to the top of Mount Nebo. He's not allowed uh, to go into the promised land, but he gets a vision of it from the top of the mountain. And as he's up there, he dies and uh, the Lord takes care of him and buries him, right? Nobody knows where Moses is buried. No one's ever found his body. You can't make a pilgrimage to his tomb. Uh, we don't know. He's buried up there on Mount Nebo somewhere. And, and that's that, right? Um, Elijah made an even more remarkable departure, right? Uh, he uh, he's, takes Elisha out, and uh, as Elisha is looking at him, all of a sudden out of the sky comes these chariots of fire that come between Elisha and Elijah, and Elisha sees through the chariots of fire Elijah being carried up into heaven in a whirlwind. No grave of his. He just gets carried out of here, and boom, he's gone, Right? So, so I think it is a, it's a pretty profound thing for us to see here that they're speaking to Jesus about departures, about what it means to, to leave this, this earth. They're, they're two that know a lot about that. Now you can, you can also read into this that it's the law and the prophets and, and all of that kind of stuff that are there, that, you know, that there's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. All of that stuff is, is maybe, but the one thing that we know is they're talking to him about his departure. And they're talking to him about his departure in the presence of Peter, James, and John. So when their conversation is coming to an end, Peter kind of wakes up and is like, wow, this is awesome. This is not something that happens to me every day. It's not every day that you see Jesus lit up like this. It's not every day that Moses and Elijah show up and have a conversation. So let's do something about this. I want everyone to stay. So, so Jesus, wait. I'll build you a tabernacle, a tent. I'll build Moses a tent, and I'll build Elijah a tent. This is going to be awesome, right? But the fact of the matter is, he again, because he's doing that, he's missing. He doesn't really fully understand what the point of this is all about. He is missing any sense that something really profound is happening here. So so what's going to happen is Peter wants everyone to stay. And yet what Jesus is doing here by being transfigured is he is preparing them for the fact that he is going to die, that he is going to be buried that he's going to be raised from the dead, and that he's going to ascend into heaven. So in the midst of this, as Jesus is is trying to use this as a teaching moment, suddenly the cloud of God's glory comes over the mountain. It's terrifying to Peter, James, and John. And the father speaks, and he says, This is my beloved son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Now, Here's the thing that you have to see about that that's pretty profound. I mean, I, it's almost as if this the, the transfiguration is kind of getting off the rails, you know. It's like that, that suddenly Peter and James and John are misinterpreting what's happening. So God intervenes, the Father intervenes here to kind of correct the situation. His cloud of glory comes there and he says, hey, this is my beloved son, my chosen one. What does that mean? And then he says, listen to him. Now, Isn't it weird, right? The whole point of the transfiguration is to see Jesus as glorious. But the father doesn't say, look at him. 
He says, listen to him. Listen. Now, I think that's to be noted, right? I mean, that's that's something that's that is 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 kind of uh, I don't know. It's unexpected, right? Because you would think that the message of the transfiguration would be what he looks like. It would be to see him. But what? What, what the father says is, this is my beloved one. This is my chosen one. Listen to him. Next slide. So he, what he means when he says he's the chosen one is that he has been sent to defeat sin and death so that he would rise and so that you and I would rise in him. Now, here's the thing. I, I, uh, I know your life because your life's not that different from mine. And one of the things that I know is true of our lives is, is that they're very noisy. Very noisy. Um, that, uh, and just like Peter, James, and John, the ability to actually sit down and listen is very difficult because there's so much noise. So many things going on, so many things competing for our ears and our attention all the time that it is very hard for us to ascertain, to see, to listen to the word of God, right? To listen to what Jesus has to say to us. Um, and, and because you need, a, you need a little bit of space, you need a little bit of margin in your life, you need a little bit of quiet in your life. And, and the fact of the matter is, for many of you, that's really hard to come by, young moms, not, not a lot of... Not a lot of time for, for quiet there, uh, or, or if you do find time for quiet, it's going to cost you, right? Sleep or something, right? Um, but it's also, for many of us, we don't want any quiet in our lives, because if you get, get quiet in your lives, if you get some silence in your life, and you begin to listen to the silence, you know what you might do? You might think. <laughs> and we don't want that. Because you know what? You might think. And you know what happens after you think? You might feel. And we really don't want that. Right? Really. I'd rather not feel. I'd rather just have the noise. Noise, 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 noise. That's a quote, right? A famous quote from a Grinch. So... um, so what is it? What's, what's, what's the father getting at here? They need to listen, right? And so that's what they needed to listen to. What they needed to hear was that what Jesus was trying to tell them is, listen, glory is coming, but glory, the pathway to glory is through a cross. Uh, years ago, I watched uh, a, a great movie about a group of, of uh, Christian uh, women and Christian nurses who were captured. I believe it was in... Um, uh, not Singapore, uh, but it was one of the cities that the Japanese and, and East Asia that they uh, captured in World War II and carried these women off to a camp. And uh, one by one, as would you would happen over time, these women die. And there was a cemetery that was outside the camp. And you know what they called the cemetery? They called the cemetery Our Glory Road. Our Glory Road, Right? Because that was the pathway for them to glory. Well, that's not something we want to hear. That's not something uh, we want to know, right? Uh, and, and, but that's exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples, that it would not, before uh, too long, they would be back on another mountain, right? 
And about 40 days from this transfiguration, they'll be on another mountain. And this time Jesus will be between two people and he'll be having a conversation with them. But instead of two prophets, it'll be two criminals. And Jesus' appearance would be altered that day too, but it would be altered in a terrible way. His body will be beaten and flogged. His skin will be falling off. His hands will be pierced and his head will be pouring uh, blood from a crown of thorns, right? And the disciples are going to be there. Some of them anyway are going to see that, but they're not going to want to stay and they're not going to want this to linger. In fact, they're going to run off and lock, get in a room and lock the door behind them. And so uh, the glory of the transfiguration will be a distant memory. But you see, the thing that is so crazy about the gospel is that if you listen to what Jesus is saying there on the cross, Father, forgive them, or today you'll be with me in paradise, those are really glorious words. They're transfiguring words. And this is, this is the way the gospel turns things upside down for us because these words reveal to us glory that is hidden, right? Because if all we see is Jesus high and lifted up, triumphant and clothed in white and shining, right? We, we miss the reality of his ultimate glory as our atoning sacrifice, right? In glory, Jesus speaks of death, right? That's what he's doing on the transfiguration, speaking of his departure. And in death, he speaks of glory. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. And so here we are told... Uh, to listen to him. And that's really, really great advice. A great commandment. Listen to Jesus. Uh, I get a consistent uh, uh, complaint about my preaching. I have for my whole life. And it's that I talk too much about sin and death. People are like, wow, Steve, you know, uh, Tell me the five things I can do, you know, I want to hear more about the five things I can do to love my wife better. And so what I know about that is, is, hey, listen, you mean to tell you how to love your wife better? Well, the fact is you're going to die. That window on how to love your wife better is closing. (laughs) All right. So it's time to get busy on that. Because here's the thing, it used to be, it used to be that what pastors thought of was their job was to prepare people for what's coming next. Uh, we don't want to be prepared for what's coming next. We want to enjoy the ride, right? It's like ships used to be built to take you somewhere, but cruise ships aren't built to take you anywhere. They're built to have a party to drink and gamble with everyone over 85, right? (laughs) Right? (laughs) That's what I've been told. I've never been on one because every every cruise ship, don't people get norovirus on every cruise ship? It seems like that, right? So, so... But the fact is, it used to be that what the, the ministry of the church was viewed to be a ship to get you through a troubled world to somewhere else. Now, now the fact of the matter is, I would submit to you today that the way to live your life and to be transformed right now, right today, in your loneliness, despair, shame, uh, sin, difficulty, is to recognize the fact that you belong to a suffering Savior whose glory is to die for you and to rise again for you. 
You see, that's what the disciples are missing there. They, 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 they are, they are struck by the fact that Jesus might be this powerful, lit up, shining individual, but the specter of his suffering and death for them is too much for them to bear. So when you see glory in this world and you see it all the time, you're jealous of it, right? You see other people who are receiving glory. You see other people who are experiencing that and you don't like it. Or, or maybe when you see it or you, you get it, you're no longer tempted to jealousy, but you're tempted to pride, right? So when glory comes upon you to know that death's not going to be far behind, that this glory that we get and that we strive for so hard in this life will not last. The only glory that lasts is the glory of Christ. But in the same way, when you see death or you feel death or you feel like your life is death, when death comes upon you to know that Jesus in glory, in Jesus, glory is not far away. Right? That's the whole point of this. The, the whole point of us is not to see that what, what Christ accomplishes for us is some sort of bloodless, glorious, uh, pain-free existence. That what Jesus does for us is suffer for us, die for us, rise again for us, so that in the midst of our lives... Uh, as Jesus comes down off the mountain, as he he comes and interacts into the world, that 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 this is where we live, that that his presence with us gives us a sense of hope, gives us a sense that our sin can be dealt with, that our world can be redeemed because he suffered for us. Right. So you, the, the, the thing is, we, that's why it is so important for us to listen to him. In the highs and the lows, in the good times and the bad times, in glory and in shame, when you feel cursed or when you seem blessed, when the winds at your back are in your face, right? Listen to him. Hear what he has to say to you. Listen to his promises. Hear his word, which is the solid foundation we need to understand right, to avoid the roller coaster emotions and troubles of life. You can listen to Jesus. You're still going to get troubles. But how do you process that? What do you do with that? Right? Uh, we have a, a, an adult child uh, and his wife now who live in town with us. Uh, we, we never had that experience. We never lived in the same town with our parents. Uh, and the whole time that we were married, we, we lived either 1,000 miles away or uh, 320 miles away. So we've never lived in town with uh, with our family. Many of you do. Uh, so we're trying to figure out what this is like. What's it like to live with your family in town? So I'm like thinking, hey, you know, my son's here. Uh, one of the things we loved to do when he was a kid was lacrosse. And so I look, in the, look on the schedule and I see that two of the top 20 lacrosse teams in America are playing in Richmond Friday night. So I'm like, well, we're going to go. We're going to go buy tickets to that. Do you know what? You know what Friday night was like. Do you? You probably can't remember that. Most of you can't remember. Well, let me tell you, it was 37 degrees, and the wind was blowing 10 miles an hour, and it was raining about an inch an hour. I'm really glad none of you were at the ticket gate when I walked up there, and the lady said. You can't carry an umbrella into the stadium. (laughs) 
So I'm thinking, this is a great thing, you know, my son and I, we're going to bond out here. Well, we're wrapped up so tight, we can't hear each other talk because we got, you know, so much stuff to cover up in the rain. Uh, and, you know, we're talking, we're enjoying the game. It's miserable weather, getting more and more miserable. And all of a sudden, I start feeling this water squirting up on, up, up about knee high on my pants. And it's my son doing this with his shoe. And the water is shooting out of the toe of his shoe up to the, my pants, right? So the question is, at this point, is how do I process this? This is not how I thought this was going to go. This is, you know, I thought this was a good thing. And obviously, things are going really terrible really quickly, and we're miserable, Right? It changes the way I understand my life. It should change the way you understand your life. When we hear from Jesus that the pathway to glory is through a cross, through a tomb. And that should reorient us in the way in which we we think about uh, our lives. And so the fact is, because Jesus has done this, because he has uh, lived and uh, uh, died and risen again, that changes everything about the way I orient myself towards my day-to-day life. That changes the way I think about myself. And so when I listen to him and I hear him, I entrust myself again and again to his promises, to his work, to the reality of what he says to me. And what he says to me is, is that I am a sinner in need of a savior and that he is that savior and that my life makes sense. My life has purpose. My life is going somewhere because it's united to him because of what he has done on my behalf. That's my hope. That's what keeps me able to put one foot in front of the other, take another breath and follow him on the path of glory that he has for me. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table, and as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's uh, confess our uh, sins together by using this prayer of confession that's printed in the bulletin. Holy God, when you call us to follow you with great boldness, we tremble at your presence and cover our eyes. We are afraid of what we will see, for your greatness unveils our weakness, your justice unveils our iniquity, and your holiness unveils our stained hearts and minds. O Lord, hear our prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, giver of all grace, forgive us our sins. Give us the strength to renounce that which hides you from us. Give us the wisdom to trust your atoning sacrifice. We believe. Help our unbelief. 
that we might know the freedom and power of your cross. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name and he gave it to his disciples. When you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are actively listening to what Jesus says to you. And what Jesus says to you today is that he loves you, that he is for you, that he is with you, that he will give you everything you need and that you can entrust yourself to him. So you don't need to entrust yourself to whatever uh, uh, drugs you against the pain and the difficulty of your life. You don't need to trust yourself to your achievement or to your reputation. You simply need to understand that this Jesus who is high and lifted up was lifted up on a cross for you naked to bear your shame, to bear your sin, so that you now have a destiny in glory. If you've come to the place in your spiritual life where you have no other hope except in him, you proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere, then he invites you today uh, to taste and see his goodness, to be renewed again and to be re-reminded again of the glory that is yours because of the shame and pain and difficulty that Jesus Christ went through to give you his life, his resurrection, his glory. It's a great thing for us to, uh, to settle on that. It's a great thing for us to be reminded of that. It's particularly a great thing for us to be reminded of that when it seems like, if you're like me, so much of your life has so little that could be called glory, right? Well, maybe, just maybe, it is in the midst of that where Jesus says, listen to me, hear and understand what it is I am and who you are in me. As the elders come down front this morning, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine. Uh, The inner rings are grape juice. All the bread uh, is bread that is gluten-free.